Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Sanders Facts Podcast. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into Sanders Facts. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. This is episode 61 of the Xander's Facts Podcast here on Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. We have made it to the fifth month of the year. Congratulations, everyone. And thank you all for listening to the Xander's Facts Podcast. Brand new podcast this week. Wow. Very exciting. And remember, if you like the podcast, if you've liked our past episodes, and you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's episode, remember to click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, do that, download the episode, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, go follow, like, heart, whatever, Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z, and finally, most importantly, you gotta tell all your friends, spread the facts, Xander's Facts Podcast. Big podcast this week, because we've got a recurring guest coming back to the podcast this week, Dr. Bobby is back to talk about the invasion of Ukraine This man knows what he's talking about. He is the director of the Russian program at Virginia Tech. He has been following this situation and Russia long before Russia invaded Ukraine a couple months ago. He knows what he's talking about. He laid down a ton of facts on this podcast. You are going to want to listen to those to get the facts on the situation in Ukraine. Very important topic that you're going to want to listen to. We're going to get to that in just a second. And then after that, I've got an update on the NBA playoffs. We're into the conference semifinals. Talk about that. But I just wanted, before we get to Dr. Bobby, I just wanted to mention that I know, most of you may know that on Monday night, morning, morning, there was big news that came out of the Supreme Court. A leak showed a draft of a majority opinion on abortion, and it basically said, Justice Alito wrote this, that Roe versus Wade is being overturned. Now, there's a lot to get into about that situation, which is why I'm going to wait until next week's podcast. We are going to devote the podcast next week to the topic of abortion. We're going to talk about the history of abortion in this country, what's going on with it, and why this leak that came out on Monday Night Matters. So we're going to get into all of that this week. I'm not going to put anything out there this week. I'm going to wait a week, collect all the facts that I need to present to you so that you know the facts on this situation because it's a very important situation in the United States of America. And I want to make sure that everyone knows their facts. That's a fact. So I'm going to bring those to you next week. And also, if you want to know anything about the conversation about what's going on with abortion right now, if you want to know any facts, if you've got any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to Zayner's Facts. DM me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, on all the social medias. Email, you can email Facts at Gmail. If you've got any questions, contact Zayner's Facts, and I will probably get that to you and get an answer for you on next week's podcast because I know there's a lot of questions going around. This is Tuesday was pretty crazy. There's a lot of stuff going on on the interwebs, so it might be hard to actually get the facts regarding this situation because it is incredibly popular right now. So if you've got any questions, let me know. I will try to get to those on next week's podcast when we are talking about abortion. So look out for that next Wednesday, episode 62. But this week, 
We are talking about Ukraine, episode 61 with Dr. Bobby, the director of the Russian program at Virginia Tech. He might answer a couple of your questions. He's got a ton of facts and you are going to learn a lot about what is going on in Russia and Ukraine right now. So let's get into it. We are talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine as the Zeter's Facts podcast continues. Xander's Facts. Xander's Facts podcast, episode 61. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking Ukraine once again on this podcast. And to talk about Ukraine, our Ukraine expert is back on the podcast, Dr. Bobby. He is the director of the Russian program at Virginia Tech. Dr. Bobby, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me again, Xander. It's good to be here. So we've got a lot to get into because you have not been here in a while and a lot has happened since you have been with this war that's going on in Ukraine. So let's start with basically an overview, I guess. We're in month three now of the invasion, basically. We're in May now, so technically month four. What do you think has Russia gotten out of this war so far? Well, at this point, they really can't point to really anything positive that has come out of this invasion. I mean, I think really what they can look at is, is the most positive is the fact that they're, they've managed to keep the population down. They've managed to, you know, to have a pretty decent lid on information inside of Russia. The problem is they have, you know, made a nation of 44 million people enemies for life, uh, if, if not for the next several hundred years. You know, this has, it's a cliche that's, you know, getting repeated over and over again on the news, but this is not what they expected. Any idea that they were going to get NATO to back off has failed miserably, particularly now as Sweden and Finland have both been put on the fast track for membership and will probably be voted into NATO within the next several weeks. So a bunch of those things that you mentioned I did want to talk about, but let's actually start with Russian media, because when you came on the podcast before, you were talking about all the things they've been talking about on Russian media because you've been following it a lot. So over these last few weeks and months, has it been more difficult to access Russian media and find out what they're saying to Russian people? It's well, it's certainly not as accessible as it was. Um, The Russian television stations have been taken off of YouTube and at least from the United States, you can't directly access their media stations. Using a VPN, though, that makes things a lot easier. It's pretty easy to get directly onto the, uh, the various Russian television stations. And of course, you can still access Russian newspapers. Once you do that, though, I mean, the, their whole coverage of the war is repetitive, boring, and extremely incomplete. There was no real assault on Kiev. Really, if you if you tune into the Russian news, all you see are people in Donetsk, um, Lugansk, treating the Russian occupiers as liberators. Russian media has, I mean, as as we've all seen, it's it's clamped down severely. One of the interesting things, actually, that is has been has been happening, of course, is the way that Russia has been issuing threats. You know, especially. Don't try to interfere. We've got this nuclear trigger that we're going to pull, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to be that they're becoming more and more 
strangely conspiracy oriented. And I don't just mean, you know, with this idea of there being a legitimate reason for invading Ukraine. As in, you know, Ukraine was basically acting as a Western stooge, etc. Some of the things they're putting out are getting crazier and crazier. In fact, the Russian foreign minister, I think this was just yesterday, Sergei Lavrov, had an interview with a uh, with an Italian, an Italian outlet in which he addressed this idea that, you know, Ukraine cannot be a Nazi regime because the president is Jewish. And his answer to this was. Just bizarre. It was essentially that, well, we all know that Hitler had Jewish blood and that this is why he hated the Jews so much. And this is why he was a Nazi. You know, it's this it's this really bizarre theory that it it originated, I think, in the 1950s. And it's been it's been thoroughly debunked. But this is more or less the level of discourse that you're getting in the Russian media as well. They're still casting the United States as, you know, the uh, the primary evildoer in this entire thing. They are listing all kinds of provo- uh, provocations that they think are occurring, whether they are or, or not. There's never any evidence offered or anything more than, you know, we say this happened. So Russian media is really just becoming, I, I think that the, uh, the Russians themselves, whether they believe this or not, are probably becoming quite bored with it. Now, it's actually going to be interesting to watch what happens within the next few weeks as we, uh, as we approach May 9th, which is, which is Victory Day in Russia, which always has a great parade. It's always a huge celebration uh, of the, uh, the victory over Nazi Germany in 1945. It's a fact. How the media covers this and the statements that are going to be coming out of the Kremlin are going to be very interesting to watch. So actually, if I could ask a follow up on that, are the Russian people getting reliable information from anywhere? Because we've been talking about that Russia has limited Internet outlets, sources, what they can get from the Internet. So do Russian people have a source where they can get reliable information on the war? Yeah, I think they're not entirely cut off. I think in most cases for more accurate information, you do need to use a VPN. However, I think that most people that rely on television for their news, for their information, they're just getting state propaganda. So let's shift over to the relationship with the West right now. You did mention that the Russia's ambitions have not gone according to plan, not just in Ukraine, but the relationship of Ukraine with the West, too, and Finland and Sweden applying for a fast track on NATO membership. And tensions have seemingly escalated a little bit between NATO and Russia in the past week or so. Russia stopped supplying natural gas to a couple of NATO countries, including Poland. And of course, the sanctions keep on going. President Biden keeps holding these press conferences, announcing new sanctions almost every other week. So what has Russia's response been to the ever-growing number of sanctions that have been coming against them by the West? And how is it going to affect them? Well, again, it's the, uh, it's the threats that they've been issuing, you know, primarily the nuclear threats. Now, these are not, they are probably not quite as overt as they appear on a lot of American news outlets. But the message, nevertheless, is, is completely clear. Again, Russia cannot win a conventional war against NATO. 
And it is looking increasingly unlikely that they can win a conventional war against Ukraine. So in the end, if they really want to achieve whatever these um, whatever these aims are, they might have to to resort to to unconventional means. Like you were saying, too, just in the last few days, you know, there have been violations of NATO airspace. I think the most recent one was was Denmark, in fact. Now, Russia's sort of statements on this, other than, you know, just being threatening, has kind of been to say, you know what, we can handle this. These sanctions, whatever you throw at us, we're going to be okay. We're Russia. We can do this. Huh. The extent to which, which this is true remains to be seen, but it seems extremely unlikely that given the, the almost whole, wholesale embargo that is happening with Russia. Now, of course, this is still including, uh, not including countries like China and India. It is having an effect and it is going to have a much greater effect over time as well. So the longer that Russia drags this war out, the tougher it is going to be for them as they go on. And I think they know this too. And I think this, again, is probably one of the reasons that May 9th is a day to mark on your calendar. Mm -hmm. So obviously, if you take a look at Russia and the economy right now, the ruble absolutely just crashed right when the invasion happened. That's gone back up, though. So is that kind of like false hope for Russians or like? No, what is actually, that? to be honest, I think the uh, the head of the central bank has done a pretty good job in stabilizing in fact, she tried to get out of it. She tried to resign, but apparently her resignation was not accepted. But this is really something that is only going to be temporary. Again, the longer these sanctions go on, the worse it's going to get. Now, if Germany, which it looks like it is poised to do, is going to, you know, to institute an embargo on Russian energy sources, this is going to be almost disastrous for the rest of their economy. How about that? Again, with so many things associated with this, this conflict, we kind of just have to wait and see. I mean, how real are the threats on both sides? Is this going to spill over into, into other countries? To a certain extent, it, it probably already has uh, with the, uh, the explosions that have been happening in, in Transnistria, in, in Tiraspol, in Moldova. These are obviously provocations. It's not entirely clear which side they are, though it is almost certainly the Russian side. So obviously, if economic impacts keep coming for Russia, that's probably going to have an impact on the war. But I want to ask you about that in a little bit. Uh, but let's shift over to what's going on in Ukraine right now. Much of the fighting is centered on Mariupol. They have shifted towards the east. They've basically stopped trying to take Kiev, the capital, and Lviv in the west. So what does the shift of fighting towards the East actually say about the ambitions of Russia? Well, actually, the, the Mariupol, other than the Azovstal plant, is relatively quiet. I mean, the, the city has been completely flat. Where the real fighting is taking place now is around Lugansk and Donetsk. However, as we're talking right now, May 2nd, it's been a particularly quiet day as far as the war goes. On April 30th, and I, 
I'm not exactly sure why, but this isn't something that has gotten a lot of coverage in the Western media. Uh, Ukraine carried out an extremely successful attack on a Russian command post in Izum. And it looks like they, well, Ukraine at least is claiming that they've killed 200 Russian soldiers in this attack, along with, I think the number was about 20 or so senior officers, including another major general. And this attack happened just hours after uh, Gerasimov paid a personal visit to this plant. And this is actually Russia's highest ranking uniformed officer. So apparently they just missed him in this attack. And since then, Russia seems to be more or less regrouping. And this is not just the same regrouping, you know, since they called off the uh, that main thrust towards Kiev, but they seem to be regrouping all around the East. Things have been relatively quiet for the last couple of days. Now, it still looks like you know, their ambition, of course, is to go ahead and take, you know, Donetsk, Lugansk, Kharkov, and really as far as far west as they can go, at least, you know, within reason. Now, on the southern end, obviously, they're still trying to hit Odessa. This is going to be increasingly problematic because they've had to pull the Black Sea fleet further away after the, uh, the Moskva their their flagship flagship guided missile cruiser was sunk by Ukrainian cruise missiles. It does seem we had a, a Russian official, I think it was last week, more or less give away the game again that they are going to be trying to unite with Transnistria and the uh, the 1500 Russian troops there. To do this, they have to get through Odessa. To get through Odessa, they are almost certainly going to have to do some kind of amphibious assault. And that seems Success there seems highly unlikely, at least at present. Sorry, not sorry. Again, things, things can change. And so much of this has not gone according to plan. And so much has been unexpected that really, who knows what's going to happen. But right now, it just doesn't look like they're going to be able to do that. It's definitely been unexpected because I think when this first started, we all thought Kiev would have been taken in days. Yeah. And we are three months later, it's still standing and they have they've given up on it and they've just focused on the east. Yeah. Not only that, but Kharkov is still Ukrainian. And if you look on a map, it is right by the border. This is one of the first places they hit and they've been hitting it hard. Even more surprising, Belgorod, right on the Russian side of the border, is is now a frequent target of Ukrainian attacks. One of the things that's interesting when we were just talking about the media here. Now, Russian media, of course, you know, these are these are these are terrorist acts and things like that. Incidentally, there have been apparently numerous terrorist attacks that have come out in the Russian media, many of which don't seem to have much substance, uh, if any. But these attacks that Ukraine is carrying out in Russian territory, while they're happy to say, you know, we sunk the Moskva. We hit the command post in Izum. They're neither confirming nor denying anything that happens in Russia. It's a really interesting, I guess, media tactic that they're using. We'll see how this plays out. So when we talk about Mariupol and you said it's the city was basically leveled by Russian forces and we've seen the devastation in parts of Ukraine and some have alleged, including the president of the United States, that Russia has committed war crimes, of course, they can't 
really do anything about it right now. But does that claim deter Putin in any capacity whatsoever? No, not at all. I, it's, it's a very short answer. <laughs> the answer is no. Also, we talked to, so also in Mariupol, evacuations in the steel plant. There's this steel plant that is still standing, and it's basically the only place that we know of right now that is still controlled by Ukrainians. It's surrounded by Russian forces, but right now, Western forces are trying to evacuate the people that are in the steel plant. So how successful do you think Russia is going to allow these missions to be? Because, of course, you said... You know, they've, as of right now, they've, you know, kind of quieted down and are regrouping. So what do you think about this? Well, there, there, there have been some evacuations. In fact, I think there were some today that were successful. Of course, as soon as these are over, the, um, you know, the airstrikes on the steel plant recommence. I don't necessarily think that the Ukrainians will ever reach a point where they will trust Russia as far as opening humanitarian corridors. You know, they they might be forced into acquiescing at certain points, but I don't think they're ever going to, I mean, at least in the short term, reach any kind of real agreement as far as these things go. Russia, incidentally, is also saying that they have been evacuating people themselves, evacuating them to Russia, which is, you know, particularly sinister given everything else that we've seen happening in this war. Also, I wanted to turn to another topic, focusing on the leader, the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, specifically his health. That's gotten a little bit of attention recently. There have been videos of Putin that have come out. He's shaking. His hands are shaking. He looks physically uncomfortable. A lot of people have said Parkinson's. News has come out recently that Putin is going to have cancer surgery in the near future. So, I mean, these are, we don't know actually, but do we really know anything about the health of Vladimir Putin right now? No, really, all we know is what we're seeing. It does seem that he is going to be having surgery at some point soon, and they actually have a a successor in place for while he's incapacitated for this. He is going to be having a surgery, it seems. Whether this is a surgery for cancer, who knows? Obviously, Piskov has vehemently denied there is any threat to Putin's health. However, they do have a successor in place for while he's incapacitated for surgery. And this is the uh, the former FSB commander, uh, Nikolai Patrush. Basically, when, when Putin is, I guess, under anesthesia, he's going to be running the show. Now, the, the rumors about his health aren't anything new. Um, and this has certainly come up, you know, in in recent years, and especially before the invasion, where we've seen Putin looking, you know, puffy. We've seen his hand shaking that, you know, perhaps this could be Parkinson. Oddly enough, this was the same thing that Hitler was uh, suffering from. Oof. You know, I'm sure people are drawing a lot of conclusions on that kind of similarity. But, you know, he, him being puffy seems to indicate, you know, he's probably being treated with steroids. Uh, which are commonly used to reduce inflammation from cancer and things like that. Interestingly enough, Western media hasn't really tackled this that much. Russian media, however, when they see the slightest sign of some kind of weakness in, in a foreign leader, are all over it. Angela Merkel, for instance, was always a target 
in in Russian media. If she if she had the slightest twitch, she was on her deathbed. I've more or less ignored what they've been saying about Joe Biden, but I'm sure he has both feet in the grave. Well, for some American media as well, too. Yeah, no doubt. But, but the, he's he's Putin is also 69 years old. He is. You know, part of the problem with this, and I think what's going to make it very, very difficult for Russian media, is that he is always being portrayed as particularly virile and healthy and strong. And he definitely needs to keep projecting that image. I, it seems to be that without that, he loses power in literal and figurative senses. So do we know anything about the successor? Like if anything actually happened to Putin, if he was unable to serve or step down in any way, would the successor basically be the one to lead Russia? And do we know how he would? Well, given the fact that he's, you know, he's from the security services like Putin, he's either 69 or 70. I think he's about the same age. And he's been one of the key planners, I think, for this entire Ukraine invasion. We have to imagine that if he's in charge, things will go on. It will more or less be business as usual. Now, the way that we often look at this in the West is we don't necessarily need that leader to drop out because we know this leader. We know more about Putin and what Putin is going to do than we do about Petrush. And this could be, you know, this could hamper the intelligence efforts, which thus far seem to be going pretty well in this. But all in all, we just, we really don't know that, that much about it. Mm-hmm. So if anything actually was going to happen to Putin, if he knew he was on the decline, could that, could his, you know, reactions, could his decisions, you know, turn a corner and affect the outcome of this war? Could he start doing something that we have not seen yet from Russia? Well, that could be actually what's happening already. That could be, in fact, the whole reason for the invasion. You know, Putin is going to be turning 70 soon. And given his obvious concern with history, he's thinking very much about how he is going to look in history. So, you know, invading Ukraine was a bold, and as we've seen, extremely risky move. Would he be willing to make another one? We'd have to assume so. It would be unsafe not to not to assume that. And also bringing it back to the economic part of this, if Russia's economy begins to fail under these sanctions or is severely hampered, I guess, could that have effect on Putin's decisions? Yeah, I think it it obviously would. This, of course, is going to is going to depend very much on the information he's getting. And of course, the word Potemkin village comes from Russia. He might be getting an overly rosy picture of what's happening in the rest of Russia. Yeah, that is, it's, it's really tough to say. If we don't know exactly what he is hearing and what he is seeing, would he make decisions that we would more or less expect or decisions that would seem reasonable or unreasonable? It's really difficult to tell. More important would be the decisions that are made underneath him. If people are really feeling feeling the bite of the sanctions, if, you know, the what is now almost certainly 15,000 Russian families who have sons that are not coming home, how long can this keep going on? The longer the war goes on, the more Russians are going to die. 
And I think this, as much as the sanctions, is going to have an effect on on the decision making. So finally, I just wanted to involve the West, the U.S., NATO, those who have been on the side of Ukraine this whole time. I wanted to ask, as a recap, how has the response been to this invasion from the U.S., NATO and other Western allies? Because what's happening in these countries is actually, you know, probably going to play a big effect. We were looking at the French elections on this podcast a couple weeks ago. It was a big deal that Macron won because Le Pen was, you know, very cozy with Putin. Germany, uh, many people believe that Germany has not done enough to affect Russia. And as you said, they might be in the near future. You know, it's a good thing we've got President Biden right now in the U.S. imposing all these sanctions, which are probably having the biggest effect out of any single country. So what has the overall response been? How would you grade it, basically? Well, you in, in a war, while it's going on, you can never give anybody an A. It's, there's just because you never know what's going to happen next. However, I think in the circumstances, the West has had a surprisingly positive and good response to this. You know, they haven't bitten on any of the bait that's really been sent out. We have not issued the same kind of infantile threats that you've been getting from the Kremlin. We've remained more or less united against this aggression. Now, this is this, of course, is particularly Europe. And even with all of the differences in the countries, I think they've managed to hold it together very well. And it doesn't look to me like there are any imminent signs of this cracking. And it's really interesting, too. And you just mentioned France. Yeah, Macron did win, but Le Pen did pretty well, better than she had before, which is which is a little bit scary. And of course, the attitude in France to this war is far different than the attitude to this war in Poland or in Lithuania. I mean, particularly, you know, former Soviet republics or former satellite states. The fact that it is still together and it is still apparently quite strong and quite resolved, I think, is is very positive. I think that's what we need probably more than anything else to try and stop this or to bring it to a close as quickly as possible. I mean, I would say it's, you know, surprising, kind of. Because, you know, all these, I mean, these are, you know, a ton of different countries. The EU has several different countries, you know, Poland and the US or the UK probably don't see eye to eye on a bunch of stuff. Poland is, you know, more of a right wing government, but Poland is, of course, right right there. So I would say, you know, most of the countries in the EU have been united against this. So I would definitely say it was, it's, you know, been surprising how long they've held together against this. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also, I think this is one of the things that may, in fact, preclude a tactical nuclear strike. You know, if there are any cracks in the alliance, and there, of course there are, but if there are any cracks that really become major fractures, a tactical nuclear strike or even a nuclear demonstration will smooth those over very quickly. By Russia? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be something that really could help prevent escalation, I, I, as ironic as it may seem. You know, and I think, obviously, if you have a tactical nuclear strike on any kind of populated area, I think the 
relatively cozy relationships you've seen between Russia and India, Russia and China will start to dry up. So if that, the follow up here, if that actually, if Russia actually launches a tactical nuclear strike, if, and, you know, if that happens, that probably means, you know, Putin's decision making has, you know, something has changed in his health or the information that he's getting or how he sees the economy as we've been talking about. Well, or in the conduct of the war. Yeah. Um, the Russians have been presented with this special operation as if it is an, a, a war for their very existence. They have not ratcheted down the rhetoric about how the West is actively trying to destroy us right now. We were talking about the Russian media just a little while ago. Many of these state-sponsored um, talk shows and quote-unquote news shows almost seem to be laying the ground for a nuclear strike. And if that, I know you're not a military expert, but if that happens on a, it, I don't even think it has to be a NATO country. If that happens though, what is the response of the West? Is it like, could they not do anything except go to war? Well, yeah, that is an, that's an extremely difficult question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think if there, if, if there is a nuclear strike on a NATO country, yes, yeah. we will go to war that, that day. Article 5. Mm-hmm. How it escalates, who knows? There's, there is no scenario where Russia wins it. At the very best, everybody dies. Man, that was rough. Now, if there is a tactical nuclear strike in Ukraine, I think it more likely than not that NATO goes to war in Ukraine. I think the war in Ukraine ends very quickly after that. But what happens next? You know, who knows? Russia right now is not really in a in a position to to credibly threaten NATO. Other than with the use of nuclear weapons. And, you know, if they did launch in Ukraine, that could be they might not want to go to war with the West, but. We have seen there have been delegations of Americans, the Speaker of the House, the Secretary of State have been in Kiev meeting with Zelensky recently. You know, there have been individuals, high ranking individuals from NATO countries that have come to Ukraine. And Mm if let's say a member of Congress was in Kiev and a nuclear strike is targeted on Kiev and that happens and something happens to that con- Congress member that's going to escalate very quickly with the unit with the United States and NATO. Well, I think any tech tactical nuclear strike will cause an escalation very quickly. Now tactical nuclear strike, meaning they actually hit a military target, mm-hmm. a demonstration over Ukraine or over the black sea somewhere that may be a little bit different, but probably not. Yeah. All right, Dr. Bobby. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for laying down all the facts on the invasion of Ukraine. I mean, this is, you know, we're in three, we're in month three. It doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. This is an incredibly important conversation and topic. So thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Zander. Anytime. Xander's facts. 
Thanks again to Dr. Bobby for coming on the podcast, laying down all the facts on the situation in Ukraine. And I just got to say, Dr. Bobby's getting quite popular because of all the facts he's been putting down on this podcast. And let me just tell you, he knows about where he got his start laying down facts. Sanders Facts Podcast. What are you talking about? That probably means nothing to any of you, but it will when you start hearing Dr. Bobby everywhere and you're like, well, did I hear that guy on Sanders Facts Podcast? Yep. Sanders Facts. All right, let's get into our aforementioned NBA playoffs update. And I've also got a little thing on the NFL draft, which I'll actually get to right now. The draft was last week. As you know, I didn't even care. I didn't talk about this podcast. I did release my mock draft on Sanders Weekend Facts. I have to tell you, I watched about 10 minutes of that draft because I really did not give a crap. It's April. No one cares about football. Basketball's on. Soccer's on. Hockey's on. No one cares. Calm down, bro. So, in my mock draft, you know, I'm competing against Mel Kuyper, and I beat Mel Kuyper last year, which was amazing. However, that, <laughs> oh well, that did not turn out so well this year. Mel Kuyper got five picks correct in his mock draft, which, you know, eh. but I only got one. Ha ha, loser. So, well, let me just tell you. I don't give a crap. I don't care. Like, who cares? Football, please. It's April. I'm sick of football. Like, seriously, enough. I don't care right now. It's May. I don't, I don't know when it is. I just don't care. Whatever. Sanders facts. NFL, please. Enough of yourself. Let's talk about the NBA playoffs. Because that's an actual sporting competition that's going on right now. So, let's talk about that. The NBA playoffs, the second round is what we are in right now. The first round concluded last week. So the number of teams has been cut down from 16 to 8. In the Eastern Conference, the top four seeds. And in the Western Conference, the top four seeds. So the top four seeds in both conferences advanced. How about that? First time that's happened since 2019, which I actually thought it would be a lot further back, but apparently not. So the teams that have advanced, let's start in the Eastern Conference. The Heat and the 76ers played the first game of the conference semifinal series on Monday. The Heat won in Miami. Philadelphia did not have, of course, Joel Embiid. He is injured, hoping to play later in the series. But Philly, I don't know. James Harden didn't look so good either, but I don't know. We'll see. But the Heat lead that series one zip. Maverick Suns is the other conference semifinal series to have tipped off on Monday. The Suns won that game, game one on Monday. So they lead the series 1-0. And both of those series continue with their game twos Wednesday night, which is tonight. 76ers heat at 7.30, Maverick Suns at 10. Those games are on TNT. The other two series that are going on right now in the NBA playoffs, the Bucks and the Celtics in the East. Milwaukee won the first game of the series. They played again on Tuesday, and the Celtics won, so Boston has tied the series with Milwaukee. That series heads to Milwaukee because Boston is the upper seed, so they had the first two games at home. But Game 3 of that series is on Saturday. There's no games on Thursday this week, apparently, which is interesting. And then the other series in the West, the Warriors and the Grizzlies, the 3v2. The Warriors, the three seeds, won both games in the 3-2 matchups in the first game. How about that? Nice fact. So then the last series, we've got the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Those two teams played on Sunday. Really close game. The Warriors snuck it out of Memphis. And then game two was Tuesday night. And the Grizzlies won that one in Memphis. So going into Oakland, Golden State, that series is tied at 1-1. Next game is Saturday in Oakland. It should be good. But that is the NBA playoffs. An updated look as of Tuesday night, heading into Wednesday's games, conference semifinals. Eight games are left. 
Both of my finals teams are alive. So are Hillbillies, but Hillbilly, uh, whatever. So that's what we've got going on. And if you didn't know, the hockey playoffs started on Monday. The Capitals! No one cares. Are playing the top-seeded Panthers in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But that is all I've got on this week's edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast, episode 61. Thank you all for listening, everyone. And remember, if you liked all the facts that I had on this week's podcast, remember to click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, episode 61, rate the podcast, review the podcast, go on all the socials, at Xander's Facts, spread the facts, tell all your friends, check out Xander's Facts on YouTube. We are putting all our new episodes on YouTube. Check that out. You can listen with a nice background. Check out the link tree, Xander's Facts link tree, which is linked in this episode's description. It has all the links. If you want to ask a question about abortion, you can find all the social media links and my link to send an email on the link tree. That's Xander's Facts link tree, which is linked in this episode's description. Check it out. It's got all the Xander's Facts links, including for Xander's Weekend Facts, our weekly newsletter, which is picking up some steam. We are going into week 13 this Sunday. Top facts from the week. You're not going to want to miss it. We talked about May Day last week. If you don't know what May Day is, you need to learn about it. It's the truth. And I also featured preview of the NHL playoffs, talked about the NBA playoffs, all that stuff, all the facts from the past week. And I'll probably have something on there about abortion for this Sunday. So check out Xander's Weekend Facts. And you can also sign up to get that in your email inbox every Sunday morning. It is completely free to read, completely free to sign up. It's completely free. For now. I don't know. We'll see. Xander's Facts Podcast. But that is it. That is a wrap on episode 61 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see y'all with episode 62 next week. Spit in the truth.